I'm Lisa Udelson, and this is a Meditation House Call. A few years back, I got a mystery disease totally out of the blue. Something was going on with my blood. No one could figure out why, and I was scared shitless. Western medicine saved my life, but meditation saved my sanity. Now I'm in remission, but relapse looms over my head like an anvil, and mindfulness keeps me from looking up. I'm a gay divorcee living in Los Angeles with a teenage son, and I'm a worrier by nature. So I'm still a mess, just a calmer, less reactive, more tolerant and peaceful one. And I'm offering up what I've learned to help others. Take what you want and leave the rest. I'll start out by telling you a story, then I'll lead a guided meditation along the same theme. What do you have to lose but some fear, regret, and anxiety? For some people, it can come as a big surprise to learn that I love a week-long silent meditation retreat. A silent retreat? How do you do that? It must be really hard for you not to talk for a week. I try not to take it personally, but it isn't the quiet that's hard. It's the sitting with myself. All those thoughts and emotions. Looking at my flaws, mistakes, impatience, judgments. The struggle is being with myself just as I am, with kindness, and my tush gets super numb. While on retreat, I know I'm supposed to be looking inward, but I can't help looking around spotting coolest cushion, longest male ponytail, and nicest socks. I write down bombas in my journal so I can order some no-shows when I get home. Is this a lesson in presence or presence? After a few days, I feel so exposed, I weep in front of people I don't know, like I'm in an Adam Sandler parody. By the time I head home, my fellow meditators are no longer strangers. As if powered by the magic of shared experience, we love each other even though we haven't exchanged a word. The pandemic has often felt like one long silent retreat. But this past summer, Life felt more like a sci-fi movie when my son and I took a trip to my home state of Ohio. I may be a secular Jew, but I do know about the Ten Plagues. The Ten Plagues were allegedly sent by God to help free the Israelites from an evil pharaoh. It's a fun part of the Passover meal, dipping a pinky finger into my Manischewitz and counting out each one, wine drop by wine drop. Frogs, lice, Flies, beasts, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, killing of the firstborn. As a parent, that last one really freaks me out. Twenty twenty one has been the year of plagues a virus, floods, fires and trillions of cicadas. They're not exactly locusts, but close enough. Last May, these flying bugs began making an appearance in 15 Midwest and Eastern states and the District of Columbia after 17 years underground. This natural phenomenon was called Brood 10. Because of COVID, 
my teenage son Theo and I hadn't seen our family in Ohio in almost two years. My mother is 95, so that was all the emergency I needed to get to Cleveland once we were vaccinated. Despite my weakened immune system, we donned our masks and boarded a plane. We checked up on my mom, then drove from Cleveland to Cincinnati to see some of our relatives. I knew we'd be entering the full-tilt cicada season, but I kept brood ten to myself, unsure if my teen would find countless numbers of airborne clumsy critters awesome or a reason to protest. Some Cincinnatians fled town to escape the brood, but I brought my kid into this scenario fully aware of what we were in for, or so I thought. As we sped south on the 70, the first cicada smacked into our windshield with the splat of a thousand mosquitoes. What the hell? He was mesmerized. I was relieved. Ew. And we were both obsessed. It's like a hummingbird hit us. As we got slammed by one cicada after another, we're running out of washer fluid. We became fascinated and wanted to learn more. You might think that these bugs have been subterraneously snoozing for more than a decade and a half, but no. They were eating, growing, and busily preparing to emerge, reproduce, and die. Their carcasses seeped into the dirt that their holes had aerated, preparing their offspring to follow their legacy in 17 years. The cicada is the loudest insect on the planet. The singing brood packs a punch with its deafening mating call. The song of a male cicada runs at about 100 decibels. That's as loud as a lawnmower and only slightly less boisterous than a Jack White concert. We witnessed them belting out a tune, the dudes making their presence known as they sought a hookup. They bred, laid their eggs while clinging to the tree bark, then fluttered onto the earth as they expired, covering the street in the sweet stink of decay. Is it a shell or is it dead? I don't know, it's not alive. Oh my God, there are a million shells out here. I wonder where they're all there, like... If you go to an area where there aren't a lot of trees, there aren't a lot of cicadas because they crawl up the trees. Why are they in this corner and not... I think Aunt Gloria may have just swept them here. We found out that the cicadas came to the surface as nymphs, which is a juvenile stage in their life cycle. When the soil about 8 inches below ground reached 64 degrees, the cicadas from brood 10 started to claw and climb their way towards the light. Because the exoskeleton is hard, it prevents the insects from growing, so they have to molt that skin to continue to develop. Would you believe that it only takes about a half an hour for it to regenerate? Squirrels, raccoons, birds, and dogs feasted on them until they were satiated. It was easy for the cicadas to be gobbled up, swallowed whole. Coming out of pandemic hibernation, I popped my head up, pale and raw as a cicada nymph. And like the milky white larva fresh from its shell, I kept looking over my shoulder to see if a predator was going to devour me. The past two years have both crawled along and sped by. I've been cocooned in my house, safe and protected. Yet as the days became weeks became months of quarantine, I felt isolated, 
and the intimate connections I thrived upon had disappeared. I realized that as I became visible, I was manifesting my own exoskeleton. I don't much live in fear since surviving a rare illness, but I'm a little afraid that my armor will return too quickly and I'll lose the beauty of vulnerability. I have to remind myself that there's strength in being unguarded. Sometimes when participants leave a silent meditation retreat, they get pulled over for driving too slowly. I've had to open my window and blast the rolling stones to keep myself alert. Like that fragile cicada, I felt splayed and naked. The thing to remember is I don't miss the casing that weighed me down and stunted my growth. I try to take things one breath at a time, to lean in and be present with what is, celebrating my imperfect humanity. I can shield myself from marauders and miss out on life, or like Brood 10, I can take a leap of faith, rise up, and say yes. Time for a meditation house call. All right, now a nice deep breath. Through your mouth, exhale, that's right, once more. That's fine. All right, now we'll have a look at your blood pressure. This meditation is so simple, you'll be sure you're doing it wrong. You're not doing it wrong. Just keep doing it. Let's take a few moments to settle into the present. You can do this sitting, lying down, standing, walking. Whichever you choose, just do it mindfully and with awareness. Take a moment to notice your surroundings. And settling into the body, notice any physical sensations. Maybe there's a tingling in the feet. Maybe you can feel your heart pounding. Simply to notice without creating a story. And name it. Itching, throbbing, thinking. And do this without judgment, just to notice how am I right now with just this breath. Returning the attention to the breath when the mind wanders. No big deal. Placing the attention on the breath over and over returning to the breath, finding that delicate balance between past and future thinking, between remembering or regretting and planning or worrying. And right in the center is where we find peace, one breath at a time. And we take what we 
experience here in the present out into the world. How do we connect or reconnect when we've been underground, when we've been separate? We make connection by being vulnerable, real, and authentic. We can't feel anything through a tough shell. It's only when we allow ourselves to be open that we let feelings in. In order to make authentic connection, we need to take that risk to be vulnerable and open, to see and be seen as we are, not as we were or as we want to be. Showing our true imperfect selves leaves us open to judgment, to being misunderstood. And yet, when we are seen for who and what we are, with compassion and curiosity, those are the true connections. Nothing feels better than being acknowledged for who we really are with curiosity, compassion. And can you hold others just as they are and still feel seen? We forge these bonds of connection through vulnerability. 
taking the risk to let people see us just as we are, our imperfect selves, with good intention. Experiencing the present moment with curiosity and the willingness to be with what is. Finding the joy of connection with an open heart. Thanks for listening and for practicing with me. This is Lisa Udelson coming to you straight from my son's closet and put together mostly by me with major guidance from producer Darby Maloney and many thanks to Fred Rappaport and Static Music. You can read more of my essays and find out about Meditation for Realists on my website, lisaudelson.com. Please join me for the next episode when I'll share my thoughts on the selling of gay. Until we meet again, take it a breath at a time.